Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 100. For those of you new to the show, I'm comedian Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, TV commissioning. Before I tell you about today's guest, we're at episode 100. I, honestly, when I started this, did not think I would still be doing it at this point. I didn't think of episode 100. I didn't, you know, prophesize. is that the right word? That's probably the right word. Doing it for this long, I just started it because I wanted to start it, and I thought this is going to be something interesting. This is something different to any other podcast I could currently find. A hundred episodes later, I couldn't be prouder. I couldn't be more chuffed. That's a word I don't use very often in real life, but let's use it in the pod world. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm over the moon. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, honestly, everything you do helps this show continue. So if you have done anything in the last year, if you've donated, if you're about to donate, if you've ever reviewed or about to review, if you've shared an episode or you're about to share an episode, all of those things have made this show the size and the density and the breadth of of guests and just everything that it is wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your help so sincerely thank you if this is the first episode you're listening to you're probably feeling pretty brown nosed right now (laughs) you're probably like well i hope he opens all episodes with like this is episode 94 i can't believe we made it guys 94 episodes no um but genuinely this has been an absolute pleasure and it's been a really really interesting ride for me and for my end and um, I'm going to explore that a little bit in an episode coming up. For now, what you need to know, or what I just want you to know is I'm very grateful. And if you could keep sharing and donating and reviewing the pod, that would be amazing. If, you, if you've listened to a couple of episodes and you've got to, you know, you've been following this progress of this project and you've not given it a review yet, please do that. Honestly, it takes less than a minute to do. If you haven't got an iTunes account, it takes two minutes to do because it takes about a minute just to give them your name, uh, you know, sort of email address and all that detail. Just do that. We really help out the show. We're so close to 100 reviews. I'd love to have 100 reviews over 100 episodes. There's something uh, about my OCD that kind of kicks in and goes, oh, that's nice. That's a good that's a good balance. Um, So if you could do that, that'd be great. If you've never donated, I know this is an awkward one because, you know, everyone's sort of a broke comedian who listens to this or a broke musician we've got a lot of musicians now listening and magicians i've been getting emails from magicians saying there's a lot of transferable skills so 
don't feel like you can't pass this on to any performer or anyone behind the scenes who might get something out of it. I would massively appreciate a donation. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, I've never made a profit on the show and I've never really thought that I would because I kind of get other things out of it. Like uh, I managed to, you know, get shows booked and promoters contact me and all kinds of stuff like that, which is massively appreciated. A donation would be appreciated as well. So if you have a pound sitting around in your PayPal account that you don't mind giving me, please chuck it my way as a one-off or become a patron because I'm booking loads of guests for year four of this at the moment. Year four, four years. It, um, so I got distracted there by, uh, you know, thinking about it, having done it for four years. Yeah, so if you if you can throw me a couple of quid, that'd be great. If you can become a patron, that'd be outstandingly supportive and helpful. And uh, you could put a cap on it. You don't have to, like, you know, give silly money. A pound would be amazing. If everyone who listened to this podcast religiously gave a pound, you know, I, it would give me a solid budget. It would give me a, a sizable chunk of money that would allow me to go further to meet guests or be able to spend more time on editing and and put more production into this which I already do I already put a stupid amount of time into these but I want to put more in and I want to make it better the problem with that is I also want to go full-time as a comedian which was the whole point of this in the first place which uh, and, and if it comes down to podcasting versus becoming a, a full-time performer I've got to go with the live so um, I obviously have to take paid gigs over unpaid podcasting unfortunately but if you can support me and you can support this, that would really help out. And that would really, should we say, move my judgment slightly more into the middle where I do half podcasting, half stand-up. Um, if you can't do that, if you can't afford it, I totally understand if you can't afford it right now. Wait until you can and then do it. Just share an episode. You must have an episode that you've listened to that you really like. Pass it on to a friend. Let them know. That would be amazingly appreciated. Without any more delays, let's jump into this episode. It's a good one. It's a really good one. I'm really excited. John Montague is the head comedy commissioner at Sky TV. He heads up a diligent team of comedy commissioners who are tasked with finding and making funny shows to entertain their 11 million subscribers. More recently, John has also dipped his toe into podcasting, and we got into what it's like making high-end, high-budget TV programs by day and low-budget, low-tech podcasts by night, and how that's given him a new look on the internet and content and much, much more. I think you're going to get loads out of this, whether you're a comedian who wants to get something on TV or you want to make something in a DIY capacity. Both are covered extensively in this episode, and I really loved it. I really enjoyed hearing his take on social media and on content and how he only sees everything he makes as content, regardless of the platform. I'm not going to say much more. I'm going to just get straight into it. If you're new here, please do hit the subscribe button. If you're old here, please do consider giving us an honest review on iTunes. And either way, please do consider joining the Facebook group. It's the best place to get your questions asked to guests ahead of time. I always put a post up a few days before every guest comes on so you can ask your questions to the guests via my mouthpiece. So if you'd like to know who's coming on and get your questions in, join the Facebook group. It's the best place for it. But for now, without any more delays, this is John Montague. The difference between a commissioner and a commissioning editor, I don't think there is any massive difference, actually, between those two roles. Broadly, commissioning is the job that people representing a particular genre, in my case, scripted comedy for Sky, are the people charged with going out, sourcing and exec producing the best shows that are most applicable and most valued, hopefully, by the audience for whom they work. I'm head of comedy at Sky. I have three commissioning editors who are uh, Morwenna Gordon, Talusha Galani, and recently joined Josh Cole, 
uh, and between us, uh, so I, I kind of manage the three of them and they go out and source great shows, hopefully great shows, from the independent production sector. And I think what's important for me and I, I, I guess is quite key for a lot of commissioning teams is that there are differences of taste within those teams. So for example, Morena has a particular flavour and taste which is different to that of Toulouse's and also uh, to uh, to Josh's as well and, uh, and also to mine. I, I, we work as a tight-knit team. I think it's important to have different voices and different views and different opinions within a commissioning team because what we're trying to do is cover the 10 million plus subscriber base of Sky and those tastes therein. But, but also we act as very useful checks and balances for one another. So one of the things we do on a weekly basis is we have a team meeting uh, where the four of us gather and we discuss the merits of particular ideas, particular uh, uh, scripts, particular talents and we try and overlay those on the sort of sky template not that there is such a thing actually but we between us have a really good sense of what makes a hit show on sky and we try and apply those values principles and uh, things that we've learnt to what we think will be a show that works on Sky as opposed to any other broadcaster. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely. I'm perfectly prepared to be told if it doesn't make sense. <laughs> to me, that makes sense. I can't okay. guarantee every listener that, that okay. makes sense. Okay, well, the listeners who to whom it doesn't make sense can email simon.kane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. Please ask me and I will, I will ver verify You'll interpret, it. yeah. 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 Yeah, no, as far as I work it out is you have such a wide base of subscribers that yeah. you need a wide base of comedic opinions and tastes to cater for that. Definitely. Which makes perfect sense to me. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that, you know, we live in a time where, you know, diversity is, is really, really important for very obvious reasons. Uh, and I think diversity is key within any small teams, within the industry at large. And I think diversity is something that we are getting better at at Sky. I think the industry is slowly getting better at it, but the, I think the important point about diversity is that, and I, and I don't just mean, I mean all aspects of diverse, diversity from, you know, uh, working class opinion to so social mobility types of show, uh, which happen, I think, to work very well for comedy, you know, to uh, more female voices, to more, you know, ethnically, ethnically diverse voices. Th those things are really, really important because what they do is they reflect the audience. They're not box-ticking exercises, which is often a mistake that I hear, you know, sometimes in, in the past I've heard that sort of diverse, diversity initiatives are sort of cynical box-ticking exercises. There's a genuine value to them. And Sky is an unashamedly commercial broadcaster, and there is commercial uh, value to be had from diversity in all its forms. So we are really keen and working all the time to apply those principles and those values in, in our everyday work and hopefully reap the reward of them from our audiences. I think I think that's something that's overlooked a lot by comedians, where they sort of look at it and go, oh, how come they commissioned that? How come that got there? It's, a, it's definitely going to be a money-based choice, especially when you're dealing with a subscription-based service, which is what you guys are. It, yes. It's going to be different, obviously, with the BBC, because they've yes. got a whole different hierarchy of things they, that they're accountable to, essentially. Yeah, I mean, the uh, first of all, you know, the BBC is brilliant. Long may it rain. And, and in particular for the genre of comedy, the BBC is, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the leading light, actually, and has been for, you know, the best part of 50 years, probably more. And, and, and I think that 
The difference between uh, an organisation like Sky and the BBC is that the BBC is very clearly a public service broadcaster, which means it, there, it is there to serve the public service. Uh, whereas Sky isn't, it's a commercially ran organisation. We live in times where audiences and customers are content hungry. There is room for, uh, for, for Sky, for Netflix, for Amazon, for the BBC. But I think the BBC, one of the public service commitments of the BBC is to develop new talent, for which BBC Three is principally the vehicle and mechanism for that. Sky doesn't have a version of BBC, of, of, of BBC Three because Sky doesn't necessarily put a great deal of store in developing new, uh, new voices and new talent particularly because when you have to pay a lot of money for your TV service, I think Sky is very reasonably priced, let me say that, I don't mean it, but when you're paying for it, yeah. you expect, you know, a certain level of, uh, I don't want to say quality, but you, you, you expect something in return for your subscription fee. And we here feel, and we talk about it all the time actually, is that we feel very privileged to be taking those direct debits from customers' bank accounts. We have to give them a certain level of quality and and uh, and and program, which is sort of worth paying for, if if you will. And so, traditionally, comedy as a genre is 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 a difficult one. It's difficult to get hits. It's difficult to monetize comedy. It costs a lot of money to make com comedy compared with other genres, such as fact end or, or or reality. And often, you know, as we know, the audiences aren't as huge for 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 a show like Big Brother for for any given sitcom. However. We know at Sky that, that customers and audiences really value the genre. So I, I don't know if I'm making any sense here. So, but so, so it's a worthy cause. It's a noble cause. It's one that Sky is committed to, to developing and to doing, which I'm pleased to say because that keeps me in a job. But the BBC, uh, you know, c going back to the public service thing, the BBC has a slightly different... Uh, remit in that things like news which is also something that Sky does very well but news isn't isn't very commercially uh, profitable but it is culturally very very important as is comedy you know comedy is I think I would say this but comedy is culturally very important and, and, and I want to go on record as saying that I think the BBC and BBC Three in particular do a really good job in developing the next wave of comedy talent that also goes for Radio 4 which I don't imagine would be commercially incredibly successful although it has a very loyal listenership uh, and a big uh, ba listenership base. I think that uh, you know Sky, Sky doesn't do public service ultimately, and, and that you know there are various various definitions of what public service is. But I think first and foremost, we're a commercial broadcaster. We want to deliver quality shows to people who consider them to be worth paying for. But definitely, and I understand why that would mean you would be less likely to be the place that someone would get their first, for example, writing job or, or sitcom. Um, that's generally true. Yeah, that's generally true. Although, you know, there are no hard and fast rules. We yeah. we did a show called Spy in the early days uh, with Hattrick, which Darren Boyd was in with Bob Lindsay, which won a BAFTA, actually. Spy was written by a guy called Simeon Goulden, and it was Simeon's first proper writing gig. So I would never, you know, generally, I think we judge on quality rather than what stage of your career you're at. It just so happens that if you're at a more advanced stage of your, your career, i.e. you're a higher profile writer, you're more likely to sort of, you know, pass our criteria for what makes a great comedy show, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. So in terms of um, up-and-coming writers, I mean, would you ever work with a writer then, for example, who didn't have an agent, or, or they just had a great idea, then you, and you loved it and you really wanted to do it? 
are there sort of limitations in that capacity? Well, again, I would say that there are no hard and fast rules. Generally, we don't take unsolicited scripts, which is a common broadcaster uh, uh, maxim. The reason for that is because we get inundated with them, as you can probably imagine. And it's just there just aren't enough man hours to process them, or person hours, should I say. Um, generally, uh, what happens with a new writer is... So, so we do, you know, we do like to keep our ear to the ground with new writers. And if there's a script that's sort of interesting people that's come in as unsolicited i.e. without an agent or an indie what we what we try and do in that case is we will hook them up with uh, a development team within an indie and and try to progress them and nurture them and get them into the system Uh, and then hopefully at some point along that journey they will find an agent and they will become a they will professionalize what they do i think it's really important that writers professionalize what they do so so with sky you know we if we take a series we're looking to pay upwards of three million quid for it what we're commissioning is not just the script you know that's obviously the a very important aspect of it and it's obviously the starting point but what we're commissioning within that is you know the the indie the director the producer the casting director the whole constituent part of what it takes to get a hit show on and that amounts to millions and millions of pounds so you know we we our quality control at writer stage is generally done by by the independent production sector and agents and between them great writers and good writers will come onto our radar but we try to you know we try to help wherever we can we do a thing called sky shorts which is now well into well it's nearly two years old this christmas actually and sky shorts are in an, an area where we will work with both new and established and established talent both behind the camera and on screen where we hopefully do a bit of nurturing a bit of growing and a bit of you know uh, a bit of the job that bbc3 does but we can't do it on a mass scale but we we've always got one eye on the future so you know we're kind of aware of lots of young newer writers and we think that moment will come and we hopefully we we, we hope that we're there for those guys and gals sorry at at such a time when they're ripe for the picking yeah you you used to run of those in halloween kind of thing we did yeah they were just sort of uh, i don't know how to explain to some people who maybe not seen them they're sort of just very short online yeah snippets of kind of they are yeah kind of sketches almost yeah elongated sketches. so that so the brief for those is they're between five and ten minutes long we did some last year we did seven last year and we've topped that season up with three this year so in total we've got ten those sit on sky on demand which is an online platform they also get an airing on Sky Arts. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we've got a mix of established and, and new talent and the most recent iteration of those, we particularly wanted to target female directors, actually. So going back to the point about diversity, from where I sit, the uh, number of narrative female comedy directors is relatively or even pitifully small compared with the number of male comedy directors. So, you know, female voices are really, really important in comedy. They have been since time began. And, and so we want to try and stimulate the director pool so that in the future we can look at female directors and and say we've got more to choose from than we currently do have and so for that we enlisted merman productions which is the company run by sharon horgan and clelia mountford who act actually as great female beacons to female talent you know I, I wouldn't say that they concentrate on doing female shows particularly, but they do They do act as an inspiration to female people within the industry. And so we, we got their help, and brilliant it was too, and we were able to grow three female directors who might not have had the chance otherwise. So we're really proud of that, and we will do more of those sorts of initiatives in the future. But it is an example of, of, of where we work with newer talent 
with a longer term goal. Yeah, there's two questions I've got from that. One, does that mean you plan to make 12 of those every year? Because you said you made five and five and three. Does that mean every year you just, you have a, a certain budget? What I'm trying to ask is, do you have a certain budget for those so it doesn't matter how many you make as long as you use up that budget? Or is it you try and make, say for example, in 2018, you're going to make 13 of those? Again, you know, it, it's not established. We, we have a certain available budget. We want to use that wisely. We will do more in the future. I, I think what the, the strategy we've employed so far is to peg them to calendar events in the year. So so season one was, was Christmas. Uh, we did 12 actually for Christmas. And then we went on to do a, a sort of Irish season, which we did in Kilkenny with, with, with some talent that were there, with Irish talent, such as Jason Byrne and Alison Spittle, who is, is a great example actually of a newcomer who many of your listeners may not know yet, but I'm sure they will in the future. She's an Irish stand-up. Um, Might be getting it wrong, by the way. Oh, great. She's yeah. terrific. She's, She's awesome. terrific. Yeah, really, yeah. really funny and, yeah. and a great spirit, actually. Mm. And her short was very, very good. Uh, and then we did some for Halloween following that. And then we did Christmas again. Then we did Valentine's Day rolling over into the following year. And we did Summer most recently and then Halloween again we hope that they sit there as a kind of treasure trove so we'll find that this Christmas all the ones we've done over Christmas in previous years will sort of be resurfaced and people can enjoy them again you know much like Noddy Holder's uh, great Slade yeah. classic and I guess the aim is to sort of top them up really so so we, we probably wouldn't do 12 again for a particular season but we may top them up with 3 or 4 often it's to do with what we want to get out of them so with the Halloween one we wanted to, to stimulate the market for some female directors I think three felt like a good number it was manageable for Merman to do that for us and also it was manageable for, for us as well so I think we'll probably do shorter seasons i.e. less numbers per season but possibly more seasons yeah I mean the reason I'm asking like that is mm. because obviously you've got a certain amount of budget that up till however long ago was for channels like actual old school TV channels yeah and now obviously you're investing a lot on online yeah which as we talked about a little bit before uh, sort of um, we started recording yeah that is even harder to should we say get recoup the cost of sometimes yes. I just wondered whether online is looked at differently to TV whereas you know because TV you can look at and go right we know at 7pm we'll get a certain number of yeah. viewers and so we can sell an advert and that's great yeah. whereas online because it's so on demand and so different I didn't know whether you would look at it and go right can we actually afford to put because the ones yeah. you made are very well produced and yeah. it looks like you put a lot of money into them and so I mean are they also pilots for future so I've asked like four questions yeah there. that's right. yeah <laughs> Because yeah. they look like some of them could have been pilots for bigger things as well. Yes, I mean, that's very possible, actually. That's very possible. I mean, we, we don't stipulate that they should be pilots for bigger things, but if the ambition is there to do that, we'll certainly entertain that as a notion, for sure. I think going back to your question about on-demand, we, we are always conscious that... The, the, the marketplace changes in a frighteningly quick manner, you know. So when, you know, when I first joined Sky, I don't think Netflix was a thing. I don't think it was even, I mean, if it was, it was a very fledgling thing. Amazon weren't doing SVOD over the top uh, TV content. The market's changed. And so you say online, I mean, the bulk of Sky viewing actually is done not in a linear way. So not at seven o'clock or, or, or 10 o'clock in our case. It's, it's box setted or it's downloaded on catch up. And so I think often as much as 75% of viewing to a particular show, possibly even more these days actually, is done in a time-shifted way. So that in itself is sort of online. It's it's on demand. It's streaming in the in the you know by the Netflix model. It's done at the customer's convenience rather than when we put it on the telly. And I, and I think we're moving more and more to 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 what I call kind of viewer sovereignty. You know, which is when the consumer of of our TV shows want what what is it on their 
their terms at the time of day that is most suited to them. Uh, and that can only be a good thing, I think. Uh, in terms of the shorts, what's also very clear and what's also indicative of a changing marketplace is that people, particularly younger people, uh, and I'm an old dinosaur now, but I have a 16-year-old son who basically only watches YouTube, really. And he only probably will watch one thing on YouTube for three or five or six minutes at a time. We have got to be sort of wise to that. And short form is a really powerful means, you know, means of con connecting with an audience. And what really what we're all trying to do is connect with audiences. That's all we ever want to do. Uh, and whether that's in the traditional linear TV sense with a standard half hour show or hour long show at a particular time of day on a particular channel, fine. If that's in a short form space via mobile phones or via the internet, then great. We, we, we're open to all of those things. Uh, personally, I've, I've been on YouTube for the, pretty much since 2006 when it started. Yeah, yeah. And I've found that for me, I like longer videos. Yeah. And my cousin, who's about 14, 15, yeah. is about the same age, yeah. she loves like three minute long yeah, skits. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I find that fascinating. I don't know whether that's, mm. that, uh, and, and I mean, no disrespect to the son, whether that generation just have a slightly shorter attention span. I think that's very possible, but also they have an enhanced amount of choice, you know. When and they, they want to get them for as much as possible. Yeah, so when you think of social media or Snapchat or, you know, the gaming, PlayStation, all of those things, they, ha they have such a, a, a wide range of, of, of choice and high, high production value, often high production. I mean, some of YouTube isn't high production value, but it's equally as entertaining for many young people, many old people. So, so I think that's about choice and it's about being fleet-footed with the market, really, for us, from where we sit, you know. But equally, I, I took my boy to see Paddington over the weekend, and I, I know this is probably not time specific is it this podcast but uh, for the release uh, weekend of Paddington I took him to see it and he was engrossed for 109 minutes uh, and also he started to box set I'm happy to say some of the shows that I make actually so you know it, it, it's as long as 10 hours of a box set and as short as 3 minutes in front of YouTube but I guess you know you're right there is a thing about attention span where they're moving on they're moving quickly they've got a snapchat or a tweet from a friend or whatever they have to deal with so you know what, what, what in a sense what our job is to try and second guess uh, really what the next iteration of that is in terms of content delivery. It sounds very grand and uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> highfalutin, but you know. I, I know what you mean. I, I've done, so I've worked for different TV channels yeah. for different reasons mm -hmm. and I've done a lot of social media for different channels and um, there's a term that I don't like that goes banded around quite a lot called second screen, which essentially, yeah. um, for anyone listening who doesn't know what that means, is your phone screen, yeah. which is the distraction from your uh, the, the the hard work you put in essentially yeah. is is yeah. distracted by the tweet of yes. someone else telling them what they think of what they're exactly watching. Yes, that's true. Yeah. How how are you adapting to something like that? Are you taking that into account? Well, I think that you know uh, each show probably you know not not just for Sky, but each show that we do probably has a brand kind of uh, a, a kind of brand uh, a cluster of brands around it. So show that we've recently done with Jack Whitehall and Rosie Perez called uh, Bounty Hunters has got a whole life on 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 uh, I think Snapchat on YouTube it, uh, on uh, online uh, I'm I'm, I'm trying to sound really groovy and down with the kids but it, it, <laughs> it has a whole lot of brand associations outside of a half hour TV show uh, and if those can drive interest to the program that's that's exactly what we want you know I think Jack has got a following uh, amongst the younger demographic uh, in in social media and and that's a useful piece of traction for him and for us to to drive I and interest to bounty hunters so I, I mean I, I'm not I, I think our job is to make TV that's so compelling 
you have to sit and watch it rather than be distracted by a second screen. If we don't do that, we're probably doing something wrong. If you want to go onto a screen or a different form of social media or whatever it is, before, after, or after the show, or even during it, that's fine, so long as you're saying positive things. And often they don't, as we all know. But but often, you know, I, 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 there's a trend on Twitter where people quote lines from the show in real time live as the show's going out. I think that's a compliment, actually, you know. So, so long as they stick with the show, we're doing our job okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, one of the questions I like asking commissioners in particular, mm. it sounds like an obvious answer, but I feel like everyone's got their own sort of definition is, what is a hit to you? Uh, that's a really good question. What what does success look like? I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's a number of ways to answer that. Talkability is something that we uh, use a lot, and that is how much can a show get under your skin? How much can a show enter the kind of public conversation and be, be talked about? Often that doesn't always equate to huge viewing figures. The, the playing field is slightly uh, uneven in as far as Sky has a certain has a finite amount of uh, subscribers to whom the programme is available to. So the BBC Freeview programmes are generally always going to get bigger ratings. But you know ratings, although we we tend not to focus on them, but when a lot of people watch one of your shows, that's really rewarding, and that is obviously uh, an endorsement from an audience. But it's not the only one. Uh, we also have a thing here called Passion Score, which is which is we literally ask uh, sample audiences, quite sizable sample audiences, to uh, to 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 mark a TV show in terms of passion, and that is how much they enjoyed it on a scale of one to ten. You know, and anything above six is really really good. And you'd be surprised, actually, not Sky shows. I, I'm not say, but but many don't hit three or four actually. And so we know that passion scores are an indicator of how much a person is likely to cons- continue subscribing, or indeed, if we can get the talkability right, how much a person is likely to subscribe if they're not already a subscriber in the future. And we're you know we're a subspaced business. So we we make no bones about that. But um, I think ultimately success looks like a combination of talkability, passion score, and and decent, solid uh, viewing figures. Because for me, for example, I could look at this podcast and say, well, it doesn't get a million downloads, mm. it's not a success. Mm. But it does have a consistent core audience. Yeah. And it's not, as we were talking about before, it's not the biggest audience around. Yeah. But the fact that it's even found a base of, you know, like a few yeah. thousand people that every yeah. month or every week or whatever will download it. Yeah. For me, that's a mark of, oh, okay, I've hit something that a lot of people won't. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I, I think, as I said earlier we we here need to do something to different to what the freeview tv channels are offering and uh, but also within that we need to do something different to what the premium quality svods are offering netflix and amazon and hulu and all of those guys and uh, i i think i think we do that you know i think i'd like to think that the, the shows we offer on sky are different somehow to what you get on the bbc uh, and uh, and also on on netflix really uh, and i i can't really give you a definition of that we sort of know it when we see it we don't always get it right but i think we're beginning to kind of carve out a, a style and a tone of programs in comedy certainly here but probably in all genre as well which is sort of a reason to subscribe actually you know and it's interesting how netflix or, or amazon don't actually publish their viewing figures and, and i think the reason for that is because they don't need to and when you do a show and it perhaps doesn't get m- millions of uh, subs- uh, 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 viewing f- viewing figures it's perceived to be a failure and actually it isn't a failure you know I, I think that probably shows be keynote shows on on Amazon and Netflix take transparent for example probably you'd probably be surprised at the amount of viewers that it gets 
you might think, because of the talkability and the PR, that it gets millions and millions of viewers. I don't know because I don't publish the figures, but I'd be surprised if it actually can compete with a kind of free view show on at nine o'clock, actually. But it's, but it's a different, you know, it's a bit of a naive thing on my part to say because it's a different means of delivery, you know, mm. and what's important to Netflix and to Amazon are the amount of subscribers. And I see Netflix as sort of like a library that you go into and you can watch the new one or take the old one out that you've already seen, or that list of, 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 of movies, you can do that. I think Sky is sort of a bit of both. So it has an SVOD streaming service, which is a very healthy one, and which has a huge amount of box sets, actually. But, but also it's a linear channel, and it's, it, it transmits... Uh, you know, across the day, into the evening, uh, and, and shows are on at a particular time. It seems to me that customers kind of like both. I, I wonder whether that will change in the future, but, but, but we, I would hope, are sort of the best of both worlds. And because we operate in a barb world, or, or, or we operate in a world where figures are accessible to be published, sometimes scrutiny falls on those. It's not always the best measure of how successful a show is. No, I, I mean, if you, so uh, when I read a uh, PR thing from you guys, I was mm. doing my research, mm. you read that you had like 11 million subscribers. Yeah. And if you think of in a month, mm. what those, let's say all of them have a job because yeah. they can, cause they can afford a subscription fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That means in a day they've lost eight hours sleeping. Yeah. Maybe in eight or nine hours at work. Yeah. There's only a limited number of time yeah. they can actually consume the content you're making. Yeah. And so, you know, if you if you play it out that way, mm -hmm. you've got 11 million max that could watch a program. Yeah. You know, a million, as far as I can work out, would be an amazing feat for you to get from from just that audience base, at least. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and and just to go back to Bounty Hunters for a moment, we've just had the consolidated audience figures in for that show. And I can tell you, without telling you the figure, it's north of a million. And it's also our highest rating comedy since 20. 11 when we launched with Trollid which Trollid was the highest rating pay TV comedy ever in the UK so that's really pleasing and, and I think that uh, yeah you're right you know we're all pretty time poor many of us are time poor many of our subscribers are time poor so the fact that uh, they're watching our shows in their numbers is really pleasing and uh, you know long may that continue without wishing to sound mealy mouthed but you know the, the, the onus is on, on us as commissioners to, is to keep delivering more and better all the time. Yeah, and what I find is I've, I've been looking into sort of the stuff you've been experimenting with. Mm. So, for example, you, you, you've got a studio sitcom that you've sort of just started doing, which is uh, Stuck, um, which... Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, we are... we. we I don't mind saying it here, but the truth is we Stuck is, is in development and we tend oh, okay. not to talk about development because it's not yet a thing. It's not commissioned as a series at, at this moment in time. But yeah, we we haven't really done... I mean, I'll talk about audience sitcom, if, if you like, for, for a moment. Uh, yeah, what I was going to talk to you about is just your investment in trying different formats yeah, more sure, than okay. anything. So that was just one that stood out to me in the yep. sense that you don't, as far as I can work out, don't normally do a studio sitcom. And, yeah. I, want, and I wondered what that was whether that was just uh, an experiment for you or whether that's you just trying something out or whether that what you're doing with experimenting with new formats essentially yeah sure so I mean uh, it stuck because it was an audience show and people went along and were in the audience uh, what was uh, we, we can it's in the public uh, domain but we, mm. we can talk about it briefly uh, but to, normally we wouldn't talk about developments but it is still in development so it's not a commission piece yet I'm, I'm hoping that will change but we'll see we haven't 
that that show aside, we we have never done an audience sitcom on Sky ever. Uh, the reasons for that are are a few. Uh, one, they're really 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 hard to do and get right. Yeah. But actually, two, I, I find that for the most part, writers and producers aren't. Uh, you know, the the centre of gravity tends to be more uh, single camera. Uh, I think they're, they're almost a different genre. There's a different rhythm and pace to scripts, which is sitcom or, or, or audience multi-camera shows, and they tend to be roundly dismissed by critics as well when they when they come out. They're just really hard to do, and so for us to do one, we have to get it right. You know, the constituent parts of it have to be right, and so we, you know, we would never kind of say we don't do that particular style or that particular genre of comedy because when you see a script and you really like it and you really feel you feel it and you feel that it could chime with an audience which is always the, the starting point with any script regardless of genre we, we would look to, to do it and, and when you get them right they they tend to be the gift that keeps on giving. So the most successful comedies the world over, from the US, from Seinfeld, you know, back to the UK, from Only Fools and Horses, Ab Fab, Mrs Brown's Boys, which you know I know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of disquiet about amongst the comedy cognoscenti, but it delivers 10 million audience, and we would love to get that scale of audience actually. So it's less about genre, it's more about um, quality and whether we think it will strike a chime with our audience really. So what strikes me about that answer? is so when I first started in comedy mm. I was crap because mm-hmm. you will be when you first start doing anything yeah. and I'd like to think I'm not as crap now you know seven years in you let's hope let the listeners be the judge of that Simon come <laughs> see me on tour come see me on tour no, no. But, but I saw some of your enemy show online actually I couldn't oh, get along but yeah you did the thing where you numbered it didn't you and yeah that was that was yeah. 2014 oh was it yeah. okay right so yeah, yeah yeah I need yeah. to I need to number them a bit better yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I have a, I have it worked a, it worked as a format I, think. I enjoyed it yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got yeah. I've got recording this one I'll send it to you Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, but my point is, is that you you would assume you'd get better as time goes on. Yes. And if this is your first time doing it, how are you working out whether? Because obviously this is something you want to do and something that you believed in. I am lucky in the sense that because with stand up, I can just go up and try an idea, and if seven people don't yeah. like it, I never have. They never have to see it again. Yeah. Whereas with you, there's obviously more money at stake. More. More. Mm culpability yeah. and and obviously you're learning with that as as a as a thing that you've never done before yeah. as, as a company and as a person yeah, yeah yeah so so how do you gauge whether you can carry on with that one or whether it's just you know that one's great but you need to do it with another one to experiment first if that makes sense yeah i think so i mean i think first of all with any show you surround yourself with really great people you know so 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 there are brilliant executive producers brilliant indies obviously great writers and fantastic cast out there <clears throat> and, and once you can get a groundswell of opinion behind a piece of work you, you, you tend to that you know that that consolidates your often gut instinct about a thing and so uh, that, that's one that's one way of doing it i think also that there is a certain amount of uh, calculated risks which we're allowed to take and so when when we take them we uh, embrace them you know again I just think it comes back to having an instinct about what an audience will kind of respond to really but but more than that, it's about collaboration with with brilliant people, and you know, I think we look. I've just come back from uh, LA actually, and and I think that in LA, a lot of people in the industry talk enviously about the British comedy scene, the British TV comedy scene, and how the ways we work and the talent pools that we have. And by talent pool, I'm including producers as much as uh, you know on screen talent. We're world class at it, actually. I really think we are. You know, we do it a different way, but but I think shows like Catastrophe and Fleabag breaking the SVOD markets. You 
you know, the Netflixes and the Amazons, they're finding endorsement in North America for North American audiences. I think that's testament to how strong the industry is, really. And, you know, some, some shows fail, some shows are hit. Sometimes you need a lot of luck. You need the stars to align. But in order to, in order to uh, have the stars align, you need to take a certain amount of calculated risk. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Definitely. And and I've noticed you commission quite a lot of pilots that don't necessarily go on to be a season, if you like. Mm-hmm. And and obviously that's you taking a, a sort of dip in the pool risk on a certain show. Yeah. I mean, how, how many pilots do you commission a year and how many of them would become potentially a series? Well, um, we don't have a, we don't have a hard and fast number for that. Okay. We we will do. <clears throat> I mean, we'll do a certain number of pilots a year as a means of growing the show and making it better. You know, so I'll give you an example. So we have announced a show, a, a, a comedy, a narrative comedy that we're doing with Ramesh Ranganathan, uh, which I'm really, really thrilled to be doing, actually. We have announced a, a six-part series we're doing with Ramesh Ranganathan. That came as a res- Well, we always wanted to... Do, uh, he's brilliant, um, and I'm a huge fan of his, which, which is important. But we wanted to do a pilot of that because we wanted to just sort of test it out. He was really keen to do a pilot as well uh, and the, in the act of doing a pilot you learn uh, you know a, a whole bunch of stuff which makes the end product loads better we, we did a really passable pilot it was great but this this it, it can be better and we are going to make it better and he wants to make it better as much as anybody so i think with comedy more than any other genre you know it's more of a risk to 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 to, to deem a thing funny and then for t- to deliver that funny is never always a precise science so the more intel you can get around that and the more um, the more you can test that the better and so we uh, we will do a number of pilots I, I, I honestly couldn't give you a figure because I don't know actually but some shows will come in and perhaps they'll have talent attached and perhaps that talent will be available for a certain period of time you will just grab the series and do the series other shows come in and you think yeah there's something really great here but it needs a bit of development there are a number of ways of developing a show sometimes it's commissioning scripts recommissioning scripts workshopping things table reading doing 
chemistry casting, all of those things. Another it, piloting is just a means of testing a show, really. And so, you know, it's a real luxury to be able to do them. I think we haven't done them until recently. I made the case that they were worth doing because. You know, you road test anything in life. You kind of road test it, whether it's a product or a uh, or a computer or an iPad or whatever. You know, a, a huge amount of road testing goes into that. And to my mind, I think that should apply to the genre of comedy as well. It's very precious. It's very personal, often to people, both uh, as viewers and as performers. And so, the more we're able to just extract the essence of what's brilliant by using pilots. The better the final product. Yeah, someone like Ramesh is very uh, moldable to various things. Like I've seen him do stand-up yep. on TV. I've seen him do panel yep. shows. I've seen him do just like sort of uh, not vox pox, but like those kind of like travel show type yep. things. Yeah, I've yeah. seen him do loads. Mm. I mean, and obviously it's a risk on your part to take someone who's never done something like that because you don't know. And obviously there's an advantage to, for example, if you if you see an act. So so one of the things I saw, uh, one of the acts I recently saw this year on Red Nose Day was Spencer Jones. Yeah. And I saw that you'd like commissioned a pilot with him yeah. to do something like yeah. the, the, what he does essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And, and absolutely. what I find interesting about that is something like that or, or some, I nev- I've never seen someone do that kind of thing. Yeah. It's very kind of Mr. Beanie. Yeah. It's very... And, and that uh, show never works, did it? Well, Mr. Beanie? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no. Oh, that, that, <laughs> was, a, that was a massive flop. Um, <laughs> but um, no, but my, my point was was that when you're looking... So say, say, for example, if you're looking at something like Spencer, do you look at that and go, we should make that into a half-hour thing? Or do you look at that and go, that is a voice we'd like to develop, and so let's give him budget and make a pilot? Well, I mean, I'm not going to talk about individuals particularly, Doesn't but to be that I just but, meant in general yeah I mean we 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 see a little between me and the team we see a huge amount of, of stand up you know we're always at Edinburgh sort of caning it and by that I mean going to lots of shows not taking <laughs> loads of drugs it's a shame yeah but but um, you know I think I think that so when I saw Ramesh's show some years ago actually uh, it immediately struck me about 15 minutes into the show that you could really easily televisualise this and you don't always get that with stand up you know I mean in fact more often than not you don't get it with stand up because stand up is a different medium to TV it's a completely different medium and, and, and you know one that I love but often it's the case that you, you, you think how am I going to put that on the telly uh, uh, but with Rom, I, I knew immediately because it was kind of domestic yet spiky, and there's something about the charm of him as a performer. Uh, I, I kind of knew, and it just nagged and nagged away at me. And when I saw him, he wasn't really very famous, to be honest with you. So, so that was the thing. I, I think um, you know, with people like Spencer, he's got a certain shtick, which I think is very televisual. He's really warm and charming, actually. And so it, it's it's kind of taking that initially and going, what what could that be in a televisual world? And you know. Often we'll talk, we'll we'll approach talent and we'll talk to them, and often they'll say, "Look, I don't, I don't want to be on telly. I don't want to put it on telly. I've no desire to do that. I'm doing quite well, thank you very much, as a stand-up. That, that's fine, and I completely get that. At which point it's probably the end of the conversation with me. But when talent embraces it and says, "Yeah, um, I, I can see." either yes I've had the idea to put it on telly already or I can see what you mean by it being televisual that's when we start to work with the talent and and I hope that you know I, I would say that it isn't the commissioning editor's job to be didactic and say this is what we want you to do it's more of framing the question and going what would you like to do in an ideal world and can we make that happen uh, you know because what's really key uh, I think in all television but especially in comedy 
uh, is that the performer who's at the heart of the show, or the writer actually, is absolutely emotionally engaged in, in, in that process and in, and, in, and in that finished product, whatever that becomes. And if they're not, that way disaster lies, really. Um, so with Ramesh, you know, it was a lot of conversations about what he wanted the show to be, a few lesser conversations about what we wanted it to be, but, but more, more often than not, it's sort of how can we deliver a great show to showcasing your talent, which an audience will come to and will love. And if we're all on the same page with that, we'll get there quicker and hap in, a more, in a happier state because everybody's emotionally invested and everybody wants the same thing, which is a hit comedy show, which is really funny. And, and, and that's what we've got with Rama Show. We haven't made it yet, but uh, I, I firmly believe that that's what we have, and I'm really looking forward to it, actually. It's a great show. Yeah, I, I won't say any more. I've, I've just been in the dialogue with him a bit because he's in America at the he moment. Is, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? You mentioned Edinburgh. Yeah. And that's obviously. I've, I think. I think a big thing that a lot of comedians, especially working clubbing comedians, I wouldn't say bitch about, but sort of there's a there's a a niggling maybe misconception in that there's a big void between. Yeah. TV, radio, any other medium, yeah. and live stand-up, as in yeah. like the club circuit. Yeah. And everyone goes to Edinburgh. Yep. Everyone has to. Yep. But if you're not someone who, for example, flourishes in the hour-long yeah. format, yeah. or you're not someone who particularly can afford to go to Edinburgh, yeah. because it's obviously a, a massive expense for course, anyone yeah, yeah. at any capacity. Yeah. How often do you go and see, like, for example, club comedians? And, and what is your process of using it? I know these are massive questions. Yeah, right, right, no. but, but what is your process of using Edinburgh? When you go there, do you go, right, we're looking for more female voices. Let's go and mm. look up those. Are we looking for more uh, ethnic writers? Let's go and look at those. Mm. Or, or do you mm. even search through the brochure and go, oh, we actually need a sitcom about bananas. Let's see who's got banana yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in their yeah. in their show yeah. title or something. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, I I think so. So the way I do Edinburgh is I I always go up in the in the very early bit of Edinburgh and I try not to look at any reviews and hopefully there aren't that many when I go up. You know, so it's a bit of a random kind of for me personally, it's a bit of a random thing. I tend to go up in two stages. I go up at the start, then come home again, and then go up towards the end, mostly for the TV festival, actually, where a lot of my time is taken up. But by then, I can, you know, sort of suss out who's kind of making a noise and try and get along and, 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 and experience that for myself. No, I, you know, I, I don't have any particular agenda at all, actually, when I go, in terms of I don't have a shopping list. But but I do, you know, I do like to... I, I really like to expose myself to... That sounds completely wrong in the current climate. I love to experience new performers who have not have no idea who they are, where they're from, or what they're doing, or why. That's really exciting, and I, and I do. You know, I'm a huge fan of stand up, and I think that stand up is a medium unto itself. It's not. I I, I don't think stand up comedy is a direct route into TV. I think there are those that can do it and, and do it as a means to an end, i.e. to get on TV. There are those who aren't bothered about getting onto TV and there are those who are just not, not good enough to get on TV, even if they want to be. Um, so, you know, I, I think there probably is a void, but I think that void is for that reason, really, which is that as an A to B route, television isn't necessarily the B to stand-ups A. Often it is. But, but really, I think it ultimately comes down to the individual performer and their ambitions with, with, with TV and a TV career, really. Mm. I, I don't know if that answers your question in a sort of quite, quite cat-handed way. Um, to be fair, I asked in a very cat-handed <laughs> way as well, so <laughs> yeah. if that makes you feel any better. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the diversity note, I think that you, I find that Edinburgh audiences respond to a thing because it's to a show because it's funny and well-crafted rather than because it's a female or a, or, or a piece, piece of ethnic diversity 
diverse talent or a sketch troupe or, or, or a bunch of, you know, animals from Tokyo, which is not a show yet. Um, 2019. 2019, yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, uh, it's getting more and more long-winded, this answer. I'm going to extrapolate from there to online <coughs> searching for new talent yeah. and how, so for example, your son watches a lot of mm. YouTube. Mm. I mean, does that feed into how you're looking for new talent or, or podcasts or anything like that? It can do. I mean, uh, you know, again, I think I, I, I need to get better at spotting uh, younger talent who emanate through the, the sort of YouTube and the podcast route, actually. I mean, I think that, uh, again, I, I sort of think often YouTubers, uh, which is an expression I don't like because it makes me sound really old, but, but YouTubers have a particular sort of audience and a particular niche which isn't necessarily going to work for TV. So, you know, so um, YouTubers can be absolutely huge. I've seen rows and rows of people queuing up to see particular YouTubers. You know, I think often the Sky subscriber base will have zero clue who those people are. Again, you know, I think there's something there's something brilliantly kind of homemade about some YouTubers where they do their thing and it's packed with energy, it's packed with, you, you know, a sort of frisson of, of excitement, which, which is generally inspired by the low-budget nature of what they're doing, you know, s- filming themselves on camera and stuff. I'm aware of how ancient I sound here, by the way, but, um, uh, you know, and, and I think there's a real sort of visceral, raw energy to that, which is something that their audience responds to. What well, One thing that Sky is kind of characterised by is the production value that it has you know we we have HDTV we have 4K TV we've improving kind of audio all about really using technology to bring a better viewing and listening experience to subscribers who pay a lot of money for it I think sometimes if if you applied those high production values and kind of quite sanitising thoughts to to a young fresh YouTuber it would remove the magic of what they do if that makes sense so in in that sense uh, I think we are slightly dealing with different mediums again I, I think YouTubers are infinitely and brilliantly aware of who their audiences are and how to build them whereas I think TV audiences in the Sky Universe are much broader than that and so we try to service them differently but again you know I, I do think talent can and will emerge from that world I think it will be a different sort of journey and I think we're probably yet to see it in broad mainstream TV terms unless you can correct me well the the, the biggest example of it was a guy called Casey Neinstadt, who I don't know if you know of. No idea. He, well, there, you, there you go. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. Um, he sold a show to HBO. Okay. Uh, I can't remember, like 2002 or something. Okay, right. And he thought, I've made it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I, I, f- I feel like, and I've asked a few people this, and a yeah. similar answer comes through where if you've had something made, it's yeah. a lot easier to at least get your script seen after that. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. I'd say that's true. Yeah. And, and he was he was very excited, and then yeah. and he made the thing and then couldn't sell anything else. Right, and okay. Then, and then he's, and he included his son in an episode. Yes, and okay. And he was like, "Oh, don't, don't, you know, let yeah, them yeah. take the mick out of you at school." Kind yeah, of yeah, comment. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. His, his, his son was like, "They don't watch HBO. They watch YouTube. <laughs> like, yeah, right. They're never okay. going to see me on it. That's why I said okay. it was fine." Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. Where is he now? He now has something like eight point two million subscribers on YouTube because right. he invested what was about fifteen, twenty years worth of filmmaking. Yeah. Into One quite special. frankly, the most ridiculously high quality vlogs yes, you've ever right, seen. Right. Right. There you go. They're off the like. Uh, on 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 a scale of like yeah th- they would they wouldn't look out of place on a TV channel. He yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. uses you know a ludicrous amount of camera work around yeah. different places and uh, you know it's inspiring to watch because yeah. he does it all himself. Yeah yeah okay but and for the better. 
do you think? Well, I mean, now... He's building an audience, yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. Bu- he's built enough of an audience that now he works for... I can't remember what it's called. Um, uh, uh, is it Fo- it's Fox, I think he works for. Yes, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's now started a YouTube channel for Fox. Yeah. And yeah. he's building that up. And because he's associated with it, he's not in everything on it. Yeah. But because he's associated, I think they've hit a million in the sure, last yeah, couple yeah. of... You know, so there you go. Years. I mean, you know, uh, e- each case is, is, is different and individual, but... I'm really taken with a guy called Humza. Do you know Humza? So Humza does a thing called Diary of a Bad Man, uh, amongst, oh, yeah. amongst other things. And he kind of, within a very short space of time, garnered like 82 million hits from a... And uh, he, did a, he did a session at the Edinburgh TV Festival, actually, and it was fascinating. And as far as he said, he, he's a trained actor and he was getting the part of terrorist number three. You know, he's, he's an Asian guy, Muslim guy. Uh, and and, he, and and after the fifteenth casting of uh, a terrorist number three or number two, he just went, uh, you know, bugger this! I'm just going to do it myself. And he, I remember him. He, I had a chat with him after, and he, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he he put his fo- he propped up his phone, you know, on a table or something, hit record, ran round, uh, and then just started goofing around in front of the camera. Did did kind of four minutes of goofing, just chatting. A funny guy, inherently naturally funny guy. Ran back, hit stop, you know, which is as low tech as it gets, really. Uh, posted it sort of as an afterthought, really, and and then within a couple of days, he'd got like four thousand hits, and then within a week, he'd got that turned into thirty thousand hits, and then that and sort of all grew, and 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 here we are. He's got eighty-two million, you know, hits on 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 YouTube, and uh, and I think that's brilliant, and I think he's really funny. He actually did a show for the BBC Three called Coconut um, recently. You know, he's he's definitely uh, one to watch. He's really funny. He's unique. He's got a voice. He reaches a particular audience. Young kids, regardless of you know their ethnicity or religion, really really respond to him. He kind of is on their level, and. Uh, I think he's got a bright future. I think, yeah, uh, it, it's that get-up-and-go attitude that yeah. means that, A, you can be discovered. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, I had a guy called Peter Fellows on a few weeks ago. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know him? Yeah, 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 yeah I do. Yeah. Lovely yeah. guy. He's not on any social media. Yeah. But he's doing some, you know, amazingly well and amazing work. Yeah. And I think what I find interesting about him is the ability to just get up and go, I want to make a thing today. Yeah, Rather sure. than going, yeah, absolutely, how yeah. am I going <laughs> to yeah, monetize yeah. this or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm very similar. I think that's why me and him get on quite well. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> it's, uh, and you're doing a similar thing where you've sort of started your own podcast. I've got my own podcast. Well, I, I, you know, this is nothing to do with comedy. Can we just get this straight? <laughs> uh, shameless plug time. <laughs> yeah, shameless. Well, I, my son, I've got a 16-year-old son who does a podcast. And he's inherited, I'm proud to say, he's inherited my love of Derby County Football Club, which is my hometown. And I don't know why, because, you know, he we brought him up in the shadow of Old Trafford. And, you know, he now lives, uh, you know, nearer Chelsea than he does Derby. But, um, you know, and it's something that he wanted to be a sports journalist. And, and so it's an idea that he hit on. Didn't want to do it on his own. Thought, well, who's the nearest Derby fan that I can have some bants with? That was me. Uh, and, yeah, that's, that's, that's available currently, if you like Derby County, yeah. And it's called? It's called Him and Dan. Dad, DCFC. Um, download that, guys. Da- download that, guys. Yeah, get but, get get the lad downloads up to seven. But is that? <laughs> but is that? But uh, and obviously, it's it's a it's a great backstory to how it became about. But how have you found? First of all, you because so as I said, I've just launched an, another new podcast, and okay. I've found. I forgot how much effort it is to launch yeah. a thing when you don't because you've got 11 million subscribers essentially at your fingertips yeah not day. for my podcast in a day, yeah, yeah. No, no, this but, is for Sky yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> in, but in a day job you get <laughs> yeah. up and you're like right what can we yeah. make for these 11 million people yeah whereas you've got 
what, 7 billion people that could potentially find your podcast. How, uh, yeah. How are you, I mean, obviously not all 7 billion are going to be Yeah, interested, yeah, sure, yeah. But how, yeah. how are you finding the, the difference in your two worlds there where you sort of... Yeah, that's a really interesting question and one that I've probably not considered actually. But I tell you, in doing the podcast, what, what I try and advise my son to do, because, you know, he's of a generation where you have to, if, if you're going into the job market, in my time, you had a CV on a bit of paper and you would you would dangle it about. He, if he wants to work in creative, the creative world be that journalism or whatever he has got the means to demonstrate what he's good at and what he's not good at now and if he doesn't do that he's not going to get a job right and so in looking at the podcast and the content of it which he generally structures and writes what occurred to me was that there are quite a lot of football podcasts where you've got blokes talking quite dourly about football quite earnestly about football what we try to do is actually replicate our own conversations which is takes the piss sometimes about how crap Derby County can be sometimes and so we try actually I'm going to set myself up for a fall here we try to make it funny uh, and we try to make it sort of somehow entertaining a lot of football casts f- podcasts are, are not always funny they're quite serious I find so we looked for a point of difference in the market that's the first thing possibly subconsciously and we're now at a point where he is writing jokes he's delivering them he's writing a running order and he's understanding that if you trail what you've got coming up at the end of the show at the beginning of the show all of that sort of stuff and, and I think there are some synergies there because what what we what I say you know most independent comedy producers will tell you that I've sent them a note saying I like your idea but it's probably not right for us because it's because it feels like a free view show it feels like a BBC show or an ITV show what what uh, what we're trying to do is just find that point of difference where we can scream really loudly so in a very highfalutin and rather pompous way <laughs> I'm drawing the uh, millions of pounds worth of brilliant content that Sky does I'm drawing a comparison with my own rather crappy podcast but you know you do you do I think it has made me think about what content is what the marketplace is and and how to be as good as you can be because an audience will always reject mediocre bland nonsense whether that's my podcast or your podcast which is never bland nor mediocre or high production television you know and I think that's why you've seen a massive rise in 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 in, in the SVODs like Netflix and Amazon because they do good stuff let's face it they do really good stuff not all of it's good some of it's rubbish frankly but there is enough stuff there for you to please you and and to please all manner of different audiences and customers and that's really what we're trying to do really. I find I find podcasting as well as Netflix quite overwhelming I find when you log in my dad's just got Netflix I had it a yeah. while ago and mm. I got rid of it because I found it literally took away all my free time from yes. creating stuff yeah yeah there's, okay. sort of, there's sort of a weird line between yeah. people who create stuff and people who consume stuff I think yes because yes. Um, you can't really do both do you think though are, are we not all broadcasters in our own way I mean there's so many oh, vloggers and, <laughs> well I, you know I don't I, I think you know so, so many of us are you quoting my Twitter or something because you don't, follow me on Twitter and I, thought I do I, follow I, you said something quite pretentious or something (laughs) no I'm not not quite you may have said it but I think we live in an age don't we where we're all we're all sort of somehow on some sort of bandwidth Mm. broadcasting or narrowcasting you know my I've got two Twitter feeds one one services the podcast and my sort of private life as a Derby fan but another is my own personal which increasingly is a means of letting people know when shows that I've worked on is on are on the telly you know I think do you think we're all we're all content creators to some lesser or greater extent yes but I think the scale between lesser and greater is so big 
yes. that I think 99, well, maybe 90% of the world is so far near the bottom end of lesser. Yes, I think that's true, yeah. So I don't I don't count someone, for example, who has a Twitter feed who, who just uses it to browse, for example, and then maybe yeah. sometimes retweet things. Yeah, no, um, sure, sure. And, and that's no disrespect to you because you also do tweet stuff <coughs> yeah um, and you also make tv shows yeah yeah um but what i mean is is that there's a lot of people who i i, I think it comes down to investing your time in in the right platform for what you're trying to make yes and, sure and building an audience in that without spreading yourself too thin yes and if you can balance that then you're definitely a creator and it doesn't matter if you only for example if i only had a podcast rather yes. than a group for this uh, or, and, yeah, all, yeah. and all kinds of other stuff then this would still count but if i mm. only had trying to think of an example now i can't think of anything off the top of my head but it's, it's one of those weird things where yes everyone has a mouthpiece but not yes. but not everyone is gonna put their head above the the sort yes. of pulpit to, to sort of give <clears throat> their opinion on it yes that does make sense yeah. and i think that's true but i think you know if you are a creator of whatever whatever you want to create whatever you do there's never been a better time to live and i'm thinking actually of, mm. of uh, rob delaney actually is an yes. example of somebody who was really good at twitter totally understood it was hugely entertaining on it and built a fan base as a result of it which has led to you know many great things for him and i think you know there's there's a lot of people will sasso there's another you know the, who uh, i think came to prominence through uh, vine didn't he i think mm. You know, if, if if you're serious about being a content creator, the, the means exist for you to, to go and grab it and do it. And I think there's a certain democracy to that in as far as you will get as many followers or users or audience as your stuff is worthy of, actually. You have to keep at it and you have to be tenacious and... Uh, and be thick-skinned but I think once you can get through that and you can start to understand what it means to connect to an audience in whatever sphere that is for you you're probably halfway there you know Ye yes and I, and I think I think there's definitely what's the transferable skills yes in doing it for yourself as it would be if for example you're working on a team on a show yes and and I think again go back to Peter or myself or, or yourself mm. in this case there's a lot of merit to even if for example so with the time capsule podcast for example yeah. that hadn't come out and um uh julia mckenzie had listened to another episode where i started talking about it because I, okay. I was fed up of not talking about it i'd yeah, wait yeah. a year for yeah. that episode and and she emailed saying oh can we hear an episode yeah and like can we, and then asked me to come in for a meeting yeah great and, okay. that, and that was without an episode even existing right like publicly yeah great and and, and uh, like the way i looked at it is she was a friend told me like she was betting on the jockey not the horse on that Okay. Respect, because she obviously okay. likes the content you've already yeah, made. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. And if I hadn't started doing that, then there wouldn't be that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah completely. Yeah, yeah, and that you know that makes a lot of sense. But you're someone that sticks at it, aren't you? Got and nothing else. You got nothing else. <laughs> but you know, you can see a future and a vision, and you have a plan. Yeah. Uh, I think you know a lot of people start off doing Twitter and stuff, and they just don't get traction with any audience for whatever reason, so they stop. Mm. And that's probably about right. If you're not finding an audience, if you're not sort of interesting people, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. I don't know. Maybe that sounds really harsh. I, d I don't know. But could it just be they haven't found that audience yet? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, absolutely. It's very possible. But I think you need a toolkit in, into how you find an audience. <clears throat> you but, know. Yeah, but like you said, with, with all your shows, there's no, strictly form so there's no strict formula. There's no. There's no strict formula. There's even less of one online because there's so much more content and, yes. and more competition. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of noise. You know, there's there's a, there's an incredibly... W one way of looking at that is it's an incredibly crowded and competitive marketplace. Mm. 
But what we do know from a professional point of view uh, at Sky is we know that there is an audience who are hungry for great content. So we're in the business of trying to provide that great content f for an audience who are there. You know, I think it's the same on Twitter, but but it's it's what great content looks and feels like is 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 less. You know, when you haven't got millions of pounds to invest in making TV shows, when you're working purely out of your own head, with your limited resources, that's that that's more difficult to find traction with an audience. Yes, but what I like about that is is you are do you're effectively doing both, and yeah. then, and you and so, uh, but but you're. What's the word? You are able to transfer skills in terms of your knowledge of what he's learning. Yeah. And, and what I find is the more niche the thing is, as I yeah. said to you before, the more people can latch into it. Yeah. People get known for things online very quickly, um, for better or for worse. Yeah. And I think with your son's situation, if he wants to be a sports journalist, to mm -hmm. have something where they, for example, they could have, uh, I've got my friend Jim, he yeah. started by doing silly songs about football on YouTube, yep. he's now got something like 20,000 subscribers, okay. and he is now running his own football team's official uh, YouTube channel as okay. a result of doing that, he presents Great. yeah, yeah, absolutely, and yeah. because he yeah. kept talking about them all yes. the time, yeah. and doing silly songs that had to go at the other team. Yep. And it's and I'm I'm I don't know if it'll happen for your son, but I'm sure that he's got a better chance <coughs> now that yes. he's put himself out there. Yeah, I think so, and I think I, but I think probably more than that. What what if he goes for an interview at a newspaper or a radio station or whatever he mm. does? <coughs> they're going to go, "What experience have you got?" And he's going to be able to go, "Look, I've done these fifty episodes of this. Do you want to have a listen?" And there's something there for them to listen to. And if they feel that he has a nous for it or an ability for it or what, it, the evidence is there. They might not necessarily find it ordinarily organically as a you know what I mean as, mm. a, as a Twitter user so for him just to take that personal case which is probably not very interesting to your comedy listeners it's a means to an end really and I think you know like we were talking about YouTubers and with Humza for example the example I used earlier he's obviously found something which is 82 million which is bigger really that you know in those terms than any almost than any TV show can offer him but it's given him the platform to move on and to move on to a TV world, if he wants to do that, you know, which yeah. is which is great and quite democratic in some ways, I think. Definitely, definitely. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you the final few. Uh, yeah, quick, sure. Yeah, quick, yeah. Quick fire questions. Quick fire. Okay. Um, quick for me. You take as long as you want. What are the best books on comedy writing or stand up that you've ever read? Wow. Uh, I have just finished reading a book called Now That's Funny, which is by Joe. Oh, I forget the name of the guy, but it basically can uh, can you put it in your show notes? Yeah, yeah. It's called Now That's Funny. It's quite an old book about two thousand two thousand and one. It's a ser it's a compendium of interviews with more contemporary comedy people. So there's there's Carolina Hearns in there, sadly departed. Eddie Braben's in there, sadly departed. Victoria Wood, God, they're all sadly departed. Bloody hell! Um, Chris Evans and Danny Baker are in there for TFI Friday. Actually, um, it, it's a collection of interviews with people about the craft of writing comedy, and it's I I, I thought it was wonderful. I've also started reading Judd Apatow's book which um, somebody bought for me which is fascinating you know when you consider I don't know if you know if you followed yeah. his career but he uh, interviewed the likes of uh, Seinfeld and uh, Jay Leno and people like that as kind of like a 12 13 year old boy and he did much like you he, you know I mean not but he he took a tape recorder and a microphone and interview and he's still got the uh, interviews and they're on YouTube and I, and I think you know Judd Apatow was absolutely steeped in a huge fan of comedy from a very early age and that's all quite fascinating I, I do love books about process you know, mm. I love, I love. All, there's all kinds of books, but there's a there's a really good book which I read many years ago, which some people might find a useless and facile book, but it's called The Comic Toolbox. 
like John Vorhouse, yeah. yeah. And what it does is it sort of breaks down, if you're interested in writing comedy, it breaks down the sort of process three-act structure, what a joke is, what a joke should be, what it feels like. And I don't think there's any book that can teach you how to be funny, actually. But there are some books that uh, I think can offer you a guide as to what, you know structure looks like and what a joke should look and feel like and I thought that's particularly useful because it's quite simple mm. I keep this question deliberately vague mm-hmm. so what is the best show you've ever seen uh, it's really hard to answer that question what is the best show I've ever seen it's like saying what's your favourite food to me I mean it's like saying do you like food because I do know what my favourite food is it's curry for the record um, that was the I'm a huge <laughs> fan yeah. I'm a huge fan of the royal family actually I mentioned Carolina Hearn already you know I thought there was something just wonderfully simplistically funny about that show and I remember the episode in which Gram Nana is talking about having her cataracts removed and she's, she lies on the couch and they're all tending to her she's had a cataract done and she comes out with the line the doctor said to me whilst I'm taking the cataracts out of your eyes I'm leaving the twinkle in Uh, and for me that was just such a wonderful uh, line beautifully delivered beautifully written and hilariously funny but you know that's one example of many it's adorable yeah yeah Yeah. Liz Smith you know great great comic actor Um, there's a wonderfully cast show the Royal Family and I'm from the north of England I'm from Derby sort of north you know working class blue collar family and I you know that show really spoke to me on many levels but the lines in our family were never that funny (laughs) okay what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it Oh, boy. Um, The biggest mistake professionally... I keep it vague. God. I once said on a voicemail... This is a long story, and I'm only going to give you the the bones of it. I was once leaving a voicemail message for Dale Winton, who I, early in my career with, I worked with at the BBC, and I think I was a little bit rude about him after I thought I'd hung up, and I hadn't hung up, and I think that I referred to him as being a bit vain, which is, you know... Do you, do you know Dale Winton? I don't know Dale personally, you but oh, I you could, know he is. Yeah, I could see, I could see why you might have made yeah. that jump. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And he came up to me and played my voicemail back to me, and that bit was tagged on the end. And uh, and I and I thought in that moment, I was a very young producer. I thought, well, that's my career done. You know, better look for something else. And to his eternal credit. Dale, at the end of the day, having made me sweat for a bit, came over and he sort of laughed. He put his arm around me and said, uh, "You were right about the vain comment." Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that was a mistake that had a had a um, you know nice ending. Nice. Last question: uh, If you could give, well, I would normally ask if you could uh, give one bit of advice to a comedian trying to get something like commissioned at Sky. Yeah. But because that's something we've covered so much, and it's not something you really take solicited scripts from or okay. anything like that. If I change it to, if you could give yourself one bit of advice when you were first starting out on TV that would yeah. have helped you understand the business a bit better, what would that have been? I think that would have been, don't worry, <laughs> actually. Because we, we tend to get very neurotic in television and in all entertainment, actually. But I can be a bit of a worrier and, uh, and actually that can be counterproductive. And I found that the less I worry, the more successful I am at work. So uh, I would say worry less. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on. You're very welcome. That was John. Hearing his thoughts on the future of TV and content and how his podcast has given him a fresh perspective on shows and so much more, including the creation process as well as getting it out there to a new audience when you've got zero subscribers. It's really interesting. I really enjoyed hearing that, especially as someone who has only just very recently launched their own second podcast 
and um, just sort of reminding myself how hard it is to get one off the ground. If you're listening to this and thinking about starting a podcast, there's actually a how-to guide on my website, which gives you a step-by-step process on how I made mine. And if you fancy an interesting read, I mean, I'm biased, but it bloody is, you can get a copy of my book, How to Make a Living by Working for Free, which is a how-to guide for artists to become sustainable by asking their audience who value their content to donate to keep them going and keep them creating. It's £5 digitally or £8 plus posts and packaging on my website. If you're having any trouble, feel free to email me at simon.m.kane at gmail.com. That's enough of an advert. If you like this episode, you might also like the one I did with Ian Coyle, who commissions at Dave and UK Gold, or the one I did with Chris Sussman, who is the head of comedy at BBC Studios. If you'd like to find John's new podcast, there are links to it in the show notes, as well as on my website. So if you click through, I'm sure you can find it. Or if you're feeling really adventurous, you can search for it. It's called Him and Dad DCFC Tracks. If you'd like to find my new podcast, if you're looking for a little bit more content, you can find it by searching for the audio time capsule, either on my website or on iTunes. That's the podcast where I bring on a guest, I get them to leave 20 questions, and a year later I get them to come back on and answer them. Then I edit it so they're talking to their past selves. I think at the time of posting this, we're at episode 6 or 7, so you've got a little back catalogue there of comedians and musicians and magicians and things to look through and see what really mattered to them and hear what goes on in their head and what changed over the course of an entire year year i'm bloody proud of it so if you want to give either of them a go please do keep supporting free content either by listening to it sharing it or by donating to that podcast before i go uh as i said at the start of the episode we're a hundred guys a hundred episodes that's a lot of people i've interviewed that's a lot of people i've had to contact get to meet me sit down with for usually two hours maybe three in some cases edit it down to an hour maybe 90 minutes add these intros and outros later on for it edit all of that put it into a podcast put it on the internet schedule it out make the blog post make the video version put those on the youtube there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that you don't even think about probably because it's just there if you have listened to a few episodes of this podcast and you've got value out of it and you've enjoyed it and you've and you've really appreciated the time that I've taken to prepare a product for you that you value please consider and please please don't skip this right don't I know what it's like I know what we all do not all of us maybe it's just me uh, I, I know what we do with podcasts we listen to the thing we get to the end listen to the outro briefly and then go ah oh, I know what's going to happen he's going to ask for money or he's going to ask for a review I- I'm not going to bother right don't skip this if you've got this far just give me one second to give you a pitch for this okay sharing episodes helps all of this show relies on word of mouth and if you've ever done Edinburgh or any festival or any show or any gig, you know the value of word of mouth. If you've listened to any episode, you'll know the value of word of mouth because all the guests go on about it forever. Please share it with someone or bring it up with someone in a conversation, right? They could be a behind the scenes person, they could be a comedian, they could be anyone. Just please bring it up with them and share an episode with someone. If you've already done that and you're fed up with doing that and you don't want to annoy friends with it, leave me a review on iTunes. We've got, we're we're so close to 100 reviews. I'd love to get it to 100 reviews versus 100 episodes. That that would just, I don't know, something about that that makes my heart go, ooh, that's chunky, that's, that's crunchy, I like that. If it's already at 100, by the way, don't stop reviewing it. I'm not stopping doing episodes, so keep them coming. But that would be really appreciated, and that really helps with chart positionings. It's about engagement on iTunes, so any and all positive reviews really helps. Donations-wise, there are a few ways you can donate, and there's a few new ways you can donate that I haven't quite uh, sorted out yet. But they will be live by the time this podcast goes live, so that's fine. Uh, one, 
one-off donations on my website via PayPal. Please do that. That would be amazing. If you don't want to use PayPal and you want to send it to me through via another means, like you've got, I don't know, some sort of, some other currency that you want to send it through, email me, simon.m.kane at gmail.com. It's in the show notes and everything. Let me know. I'm more than happy to accept currency in another way or, or however it works. That'd be amazing. Two, become a patron. I am revamping the Patreon in the next couple of weeks so that we have new rewards, new things that people can get for backing the show. And I'm attempting to make it more of a community there so that we have reasons to join it beyond you just giving me a tip for the show. The moment that's what it is, I understand that. Please sign up anyway. The the rewards will be retroactively, retroactively, retrospectively, uh, uh, you know, sort of given to people. So if you donated two pounds and there's a reward for that, you'll still get the reward. I'm not, you know, I'm not a dickhead. Um, so that would be amazingly appreciated, and and I would really, really like to get a better budget going for this show. I've done it for four years now. I kind of feel like if you regularly listen, it would be massively appreciated if you could just give me a quid or so a month or whatever you think is worth to help me out. That would be amazing. Uh, I've got a, I've got a coffee account, ko-fi. Um, it's a website where you can just give me a coffee, right? It's a really nice little idea. I think it's about $3 do- um, you donate because it's another American site. America's are really big on tipping, apparently, so that's really exciting uh, to know. Um, but yeah, so uh, if you want to give me $3, you can just do it through there. That's a very simple and easy site to use. Full disclosure, I don't really drink hot drinks, so I'm most likely going to spend it on smoothie and Toblerone, but uh, I'm pretty certain no one's going to go, well, I'm not giving him a coffee because he's not going to spend it on a hot beverage. Uh, but I like, I like having full disclosure with you guys, so please do consider using that. That's it, really. Oh, and join the Facebook group. We've got a Facebook group. It's got nearly 1,200 members in it, which is massive. It's a really exciting number. Um, it's growing every week by a couple of members. It'd be great to, to see that go up. It's the best place to find out about guests um, and ask your questions to them, you know, like ahead of time before the podcast. So if you've listened to an episode and gone, oh, I wish, I wish I'd asked that guest a question, that's the best place to send me the question so I can ask it on your behalf. That's, that's everything, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. Really excited about the next episode. There's there's one in two weeks' time that's episode 101. And all of I had a bit of fun with that one. So please do keep an eye out for that. The RC Industry Podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. I'll see you all in about 14 days' time. Bye. Thank you for listening. Seriously. So happy we've hit a hundred. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.